Commando. Your child should go commando, aka no underpants but with pants, for about a month, give or take a week. I used to merely suggest this, but over the years I've come to the conclusion that it is a very necessary step. Underpants are too much like a diaper. A few days of potty training is not long enough to reprogram your child's muscle memory. That muscle memory dictates that when something snug goes on, it's time to release the pee and poop. Because this is largely unconscious, it's beyond your child's scope to control it. In other words, she can't be expected to do anything but poop and pee in the underpants. Because they fit snugly, underpants somewhat contain an accident, particularly a poop. While this may seem advantageous, it's not. I've seen kids have accidents in underpants and not be too bothered by it. However, because going commando feels similar to being naked, an accident in pants with no underpants feels much different. To be honest, it feels much grosser. The pee trickles down their legs and their pants get all stuck to them. That's good in potty training. Kids seem to have a sense of shame when an accident happens while going commando that they don't really feel during an accident with underpants. I think this may be because kids see underpants as a diaper in another form. When I say a sense of shame, I'm not suggesting that you shame your child. I don't advocate that. There is, however, a natural sense of shame that develops during the process of socialization. And an internal sense of shame is an indication that socialization is occurring appropriately. Any child can go without underpants under shorts or pants. And on girls, no undies under a dress is perfect. Another possible reason that kids seem to have more accidents early in potty training if they're wearing undies. Underpants afford a certain level of privacy. If the genitals are all tucked away nicely, it seems to the child as though you can't see them having an accident, which reduces the internal sense of shame. As for cleanliness, going commando is fine hygienically. If you find you have a strong reaction to this suggestion, ask yourself why. I've never seen a kid get an infection or anything like that, which some parents fear. Still, many parents are freaked out by this suggestion. If you are, I'd venture to say you are going to have a hard time potty training. Underpants are a layer of fabric, nothing else. Pants are a layer of fabric. Going without underpants is not a big deal and can save you lots of frustration. When I hear a parent get wiggly about commando, it makes me think they have some weirdness about genitals and pottying in general. Neither hang-up will help in the potty training process. Daycares and commando are another ball of crappy wax entirely. I'll address that in Chapter 12, Daycares and Other Caregivers. What's the deal with training pants? Training pants is actually a thing. Training pants are underwear with a triple layer of cloth in the crotch. Training pants went out of fashion for a couple of decades when the big diaper companies showed their claws with pull-ups. Training pants are useful when it's time to move to underpants. They are a version of underpants. I quote a client, To all you moms out there, when Jamie tells you to do things a certain way, it's based on a lot of experience, so you should listen to her. I tried the training pants again on day five when we visited my mom. Six accidents in four hours. The next day, back to commando and either no or one small P accident. She's doing so great now. If you're still digging in your heels about commando, go ahead. 
Try underpants if commando totally weirds you out. But if your child starts having accidents left and right, well, I told you so. After a few weeks or so, your child should be able to start using underpants without any problems. If you have tempted your child with fancy character underpants, or if your child knows about underpants, you should hide them for now to avoid any fights about it. If your child begs for undies, you can give them a go. Some kids have a super high integrity about not peeing on their favorite characters, if you chose character undies. If it works for you, go for it. If not, be willing to ditch them fast. Also worth noting, you'll be ditching onesies, overalls, footy pajamas, and pants or shorts with complicated buttons and snaps. It seems obvious, but I find it often slips parents' minds. I highly suggest elastic waistbands at least for a while. Your child is still only going to give you a 5 to 10 second heads up, so you need to be quick about getting the pants down. Plus, you want to make it easy for your child to do it herself if she wants to. If your child is hindered by her clothes and can't make it to the potty in time to pee, chances are she will feel really embarrassed and have a meltdown. Set yourself and your child up for nothing but success. One more note about underpants, commando, and the whole shebang. Pull-ups are diapers, plain and simple. I have no use for them. They prolong potty training indefinitely. No child uses pull-ups as underpants. And if underpants feel too much like a diaper, what do pull-ups feel like? A diaper. Don't waste your time or money. So block two brings clothes. It also combines with block three and brings small outings. These should be planned and will give you a sense of how leaving the house potty trained differs from leaving the house with diapers. Early on, though, these should be small, I repeat, small outings. Do not attempt a week's grocery shopping. Do not attempt an hour drive to grandma's. Don't go to story time at the library thinking you'll show off your child's new skill. Do not try to complete a necessary chore. Instead, consider a walk around the block or a run to a store for just one item. These small outings are practice runs. It is normal for your child to wet a few pairs of pants. The first couple of peas, your child may wet all the way through the pants. Don't be devastated. Have them help you get new clothes and clean up. This is common, but I regularly have moms contacting me who are practically in tears that their child is not getting it. We have no idea how he's processing the information you've given him. Kids do not and cannot just up and do something new because we ask them to. For all we know, he's processing the information and at any moment, he'll discover the right order of things. You will still be using diapers for naps and bedtime during block two. Again, clearly state why the diaper is going on and when it will come off. You should still be praising or at least acknowledging what your child is learning. You may find that occasionally, upon prompting your child to use the potty, you will be met with a clear, firm no. This is different than resistance, which looks more like trying to put a cat in a bucket of water. What I'm talking about here is a simple no, and when you hear this from your child, you need to respect one of two things. One, she may not have to go. By the end of these first few days, you should have a handle on her patterns and will pretty much know with at least some warning when she has to pee. I say this because, again, you want to avoid hounding her. 
you want to have at least a rough idea that she may have to go, so you're met with success. When a child says clearly that they don't have to go, respect that. A phrase I suggest is, Okay, I trust you to come tell me when you do. I'll be in the kitchen when you need me. Period. Notice I said, when, not if, implying that this is going to happen, it's just a matter of time. A subtle shift in language. Don't belabor the point, just tell her where you'll be, which is important, because in the beginning phases of training, she can't hold it long enough to search for you around the house. Another tactic is to say, well, let's try. If nothing comes out, we can try again later. Don't abuse this by trying every 10 minutes. Every half hour or so should yield a P at some point. 2. Your child is really involved in something at the moment. When you want your child to do something, say it clearly and give him time to process and respond. Many parents say, come on, it's time to go. I said come here, now, let's go. Did you hear me? Come on. All this in a 20-second time frame. It takes the average toddler 30 seconds to hear, process, and respond. You need only say it once. Of course, after 30 seconds, your kid could just be digging his heels in and ignoring you. We usually don't like it when our toddlers demand we drop everything that second to attend to them. We ask them to hold on and practice patience. Practice what you preach. Give him the opportunity to finish up what he is doing. Most of the time, he'll come in short order. In the same category as the second point is the child who is afraid to miss something while going to the bathroom. This is probably the number one cause of accidents both in the early stages and later. Children get very involved and either forget to think about whether they need the potty or don't want to miss out. There are a couple of ways to deal with this. You can have the activity come with you. You can bring your truck with you to the bathroom. Alternately, you can directly address the activity. Think in toddler brain here. Truck, you wait here. Pascal's going to pee and be right back. Addressing inanimate objects is a great tool for the first month of potty training. Do you want to show your bear how you pee? Let's bring him to watch. Kids love this. You can set up her favorite dolls in front of the potty to teach them how to do it. Be creative and think like a child. If you're watching a video, have the video wait by pausing it. Obviously, much harder to do with a television program. So yes, your child may pee and poop through several pairs of pants. For a limited time, this is okay. I have seen it happen a hundred times over. Generally, the child is still processing all the new information. Give them some time to figure things out. I will make no bones about it. Block two, which usually comes around two to six days from your start date, is the hardest phase. This is when most people quit potty training. This is when most parents panic. Naked block one goes well and clothes muck it all up. Keep going. I am not lying. It will click. As they say, when going through hell, for God's sake, keep going. If you find yourself losing patience, take a breather. After all, you're taking a small amount of time to do what the rest of the country is taking a year or longer to do. Block two is not only about your child learning, you should be learning as well. Plan not only to learn your child's signals and or pee-pee dance, but also to learn his pee patterns. Some kids can drink four ounces of juice and pee seven times in the next hour. 
Other kids can drink four full sippy cups and hold it for six hours. Seriously, the whole goal here is to find a rhythm to your child's day and figure out where the potty fits in. If you have a frequent peer, you may not want to go anywhere for a while after that first glass of water. On the other hand, if you know you have a camel, go run a couple of errands. Of course, you're not going to know your child's pee habits perfectly after only a few days, but it's the eventual goal. If there is some minor resistance during block two, it's most likely the result of pure toddlerness. There's been a change in routine. Remember that all your child has ever known is a diaper. Since she was a few hours old, she has worn one. She's a little attached. It's okay. This is just something to keep in the back of your mind. When facing resistance, most parents potty training on their own give up, often by deciding their child is not ready. Nothing could be further from the truth. If your child is capable of fighting for something she wants, she's more than ready for potty training. Resistance can result in a short period of unpleasantness, but then it's done and you're over the hump. Block three. This block of learning should be about solidifying the skills. Don't confuse days with blocks. Block three might start on your second day of potty training. More likely, though, it's going to start somewhere around days four through 10. I'm only mentioning days because I know you need a marker. Seriously, try to let the day thing go. Block three brings more of the same, watching and prompting. By this time, you can have any combination of things happening. You could have a clear sense of your child getting it, or you could still be lingering somewhere else on the confidence timeline. It's all good. A few days ago, your child had no concept of where pee and poop went. As I discussed in block two, resistance could potentially kick up. Alternately, you could be all set to take an eight-hour cross-country flight without diapers. The important thing is to stay calm no matter where you find yourself in the process. There's no better way to help your child hone her potty skills than to take her outside the norm. In this case, that means actually leaving the house for longer than a short walk around the block. For many of you, this is going to coincide with daycare. Daycare, like poop, can be one of the most frustrating aspects of potty training. So, also like poop, I gave it its own glorious chapter. Chapter 12, Daycares and Other Caregivers. Leaving Home for Bigger Chunks of Time When heading out for a longer time, be sure you get a good pee before leaving the house. I'm not suggesting bugging your child to pee. Rather, wait to leave till you get that pee and then hit the road. Again, firm directives work best. You need to pee before we leave the house because I will not like it if you pee in the car. If you're pretty sure you have an 11 a.m. pooper, don't leave in that time frame. Remember, this isn't forever, you are still starting out. Bring an extra outfit. I suggest using a cloth diaper or towel to line the car seat. Bring wipes. Hell, bring the potty chair. I'm a huge advocate of bringing the potty chair or insert in the car. It doesn't weigh much, and even if your kid poops, you just bring it home. Not much different than carrying around a poopy diaper. You want to plan for accidents. They're going to happen, and it's okay. But chances are, if you keep your small outings small, you may not have any. One of the most awesome couples I ever worked with took on potty training like a Navy SEAL assignment. They had a total tag team plan. 
The dad took the child out on trial runs all day on the second and third days. Seriously. They went to Target and the market and the library, all just for restroom practice. And you know what? It went really well. I just loved their dedication to getting this down, no matter what the environment. Something to consider. Blocks two and three are by far your hardest chunks of learning. You, the parent, may be feeling insane or incredibly intense. It's normal, but try to chill out. I cannot say this enough. This process can look like a full-blown disaster and then clear up. I cannot tell you the amount of mail I get in which a mom goes from being nearly in tears to, wow, never mind, he just sat and peed. Most often, somewhere during potty training, things are going to seem off. The following two posts are extremely important. Be sure to read them again and again. I'm convinced this is where most parents who try to wing it totally fuck it up. Pay close attention. Seriously. The entire crux of potty training is in these two posts. They address the areas where parents most commonly go wrong. Rushing, not prompting, and overprompting. Do not overprompt or hover. Almost all resistance is because there is too much process in the process. Certainly, there are some children who are just really difficult to potty train. However, in 95% of the people I've worked with, resistance is the result of hovering parents. Instead of blindly prompting, remember, you are not asking if he has to go, look for signals. Try to find a pattern and a rhythm. If you need to, keep a mental note to not prompt more than once per half hour. Never, ever, ever should the prompting take on a begging, cajoling, negotiating tone. You are not playing, let's make a deal. You are prompting your child to sit and pee, period. This can be done firmly without being done meanly. Prompting. A very common complaint I hear a few days into potty training is something along the lines of, He's doing fine, but only when we tell him to go. Is this kid ever going to tell us when he has to go? My answer is, of course he will. But right now, in the early stages of potty training, your child needs you. It still counts if they pee in the potty because you tell them to. Like any other learning they have done or will do, they need you, the parent, as a crutch. Think of your child learning to walk. They had to hold your hands at first, both for the physical support and the comfort. Then they took a few tentative steps away from you, but quickly needed your hand again. In strange environments, they hold your hand to tug you along to where they want to investigate. Prompting is holding their hand. Some kids might immediately start to self-initiate. Most kids will build it slowly. Usually about three weeks into the process, you can start counting on self-initiating. Until then, it will be a few days of you always prompting. Then there will be a few days during which they tell you maybe one or two times that they have to go. Then, every once in a while, they will sit on their own and do their business. It will continue to build. And in strange situations, you may have to do some more hand-holding. And one day, you will wake up and not have potty training on the brain. I swear to God, this day will come when to prompt. The big trick with prompting is to not overprompt. 90% of all resistance is caused by overprompting. So the question becomes how often to prompt without slipping into overprompting, aka bugging, nagging, and general overtalking it.
While your child is learning to use the potty, you actually should be learning some things, too. Namely, your child's pee pattern. Some kids can drink four ounces of fluid and pee nine times in an hour. Other kids are camels and can drink 32 ounces of fluid and pee twice all day. Some children are camels until they break the seal. College drinking days, anyone? Then it's nine times in an hour. Every single kid is different. This pee pattern is going to let you get back to regularly scheduled life after potty training. If you know you have a big drinker and peer in the morning, don't go running errands first thing. If you know you have a camel, run like the wind to get your shopping done. You will also be learning your child's particular pee-pee dance. Some kids have the classic hopping around, ants in the pants dance. Other kids are crotch grabbers. Some kids get real slow and silent. The first few days of potty training should get you acclimated to your child's particular dance. This is naturally a good time to prompt, while simultaneously bringing the child's awareness to the dance. Say something like, I can see you have to pee. You are holding your penis. Come, sit on the potty. Remember, you are not asking your child if he has to pee. You are prompting him to use the potty. There are some very natural and therefore low-pressure times to prompt. These are times we all go pee, so the prompts don't have a nagging quality to them and tend not to interrupt the child in the middle of something. These are called easy catches in Elimination Communication, or EC. Thanks, Andrea, of EC Simplified. And they occur upon awakening and before sleep, before leaving anywhere, and upon arrival anywhere, before and after prolonged sitting, high chair, car seat, laps and couches, and before and after an engaging activity. It's also okay and very natural to hold off on an activity until your child pees, especially when you are very certain they need to. You might say something like, sure, we can leave for our walk as soon as you pee, or yes, you can watch Elmo, sit and pee first. This is not to be confused with bribery or rewarding, which would look something like, I'll let you watch Elmo if you sit and pee for mommy. Don't slip into bribery. You will end up with a power struggle. It's also helpful to prompt as part of a cluster of other things. Please pick up your blocks. It's time for lunch. Go sit on the potty, then we'll wash hands. This does two things. First, it puts potty training in the normal realm of things you just do. Second, it keeps your tone and vibe normal. I know this is shocking, but parents can get shrill and anxious around potty training. A brilliant mom on our forum found that talking about using the potty as something helpful worked wonders. Her daughter loves being helpful, so she would phrase it as, put your fork on the table, put your cup on the table, go sit and pee. Thank you. You are such a big help. The delicate dance of prompting without overprompting is an important one. It's also important to remember that this is temporary. Many parents try to rush the self-initiation and end up with a lot of accidents. You don't want to do this. If your child doesn't have a lot of success to build on, his little mind will go to some version of, I suck at this. I'm not even going to try anymore. I call it the inner fuck it. You are building a tower of success. If you start kicking out blocks from the foundation, the tower will tumble. Overprompting and backing off. It usually goes down like this. Around the fourth or fifth day into potty training, 
I don't know what happened. It was totally clicking. She had it. She was sitting and peeing and pooping. Now, all of a sudden, she won't sit on the potty when I prompt her, and she's having accidents all over the place. Help. When you are potty training, there comes a time when you actually have to hand control over to your child. Usually, this is within the first week. A really, really good sign that your child wants you out of her business is when she had it and all of a sudden resists or starts to have tons of accidents. The learning phase of anything sucks. No one wants to be learning. We like to have learned. This is a catch-22, and it's scary as hell. You need to give control over to her, and she's not yet proven she can handle it. Failing to turn over control at the right time is a classic mistake in potty training. Because your child isn't self-initiating and going on her own, you figure you have to keep at her. In reality, what you need to do is give her room to make the right choice for herself. If you are constantly at her, watching, hovering, trying to help, she has no room to make her potty use her own. Now, this doesn't mean you leave it totally up to her. Prompting is going to be necessary for a bit longer. You must prompt without over-prompting, which sounds awfully Yoda-ish, but it's true. Here's the trick. Toss the prompts out there with as little energy as possible. Something like, I can see you have to pee, there's your potty. Then drop the matter. Walk away and let it go, mentally and or physically. Now she can make her own choice, which means there's nothing to resist. If you don't care, there's nothing for her to fight. I mean, of course you care, but you have to give your child the room to learn how to use the potty, choose to do so, and do it herself. The lofty reason for this is, it makes the accomplishment her own. The reality, it's easier this way. Sometimes you have to take the process out of the process. Here's a direct quote from Alicia. I definitely think the hands-off approach is what we need here. I think experimenting a bit really helped us to figure a few things out. First, we needed to take the potty training out of potty training, if that makes sense at all. I think once we hit a snag Friday, we all got too focused on it, and everyone was hyper-aware of every poop, pee, toot that came out of her, and we weren't just being a family and spending time together. Tried the complete opposite today. Didn't really talk much about it at all except when I needed to, and kept it short and sweet. I guess the message she is sending me is that she can do it without me, and actually does better that way. If I act at all available to help her, she then uses me like a crutch and suddenly can't do anything by herself anymore. Exactly. At the end of block three, you should have some confidence in being able to leave the house with clothes on. Well, at least on your child. You can plan slightly longer outings, maybe to a friend's house. Be mindful, though, that you still watch your child for signals. It should already be getting easier to see those signals, but don't get engrossed in a conversation in another room. As I said, bring the potty in the car. I remember bringing it to the beach with Pascal. He actually got out of the water to use his potty. I was impressed that he didn't just pee in the water. I don't think it's necessary to bring the potty into buildings that do have toilets. You don't want to foster any weird attachment to just that one potty. Toddlers are notorious for weirdness. I would advise you keep the potty in the back of the car when you're out. You can pee in parking lots, pulled over on the freeway, or whenever you are out and about. I'll address public restrooms later. You may be laughing, 
pulled over on the freeway? This is a very important point. If your child indicates that he has to go pee, you drop everything and go. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. Go. You must respect your child in this regard. She cannot wait a minute. She cannot hold on. You've got five to ten seconds. So yes, if it means pulling over on I-95, that's what you do. Think about it. You've spent all this time and effort, and you're finally seeing the payoff. She's asking you. To risk her not being able to hold it and having an accident would be devastating to her. And I don't use the word devastating lightly. Besides avoiding an accident, you're showing her that you are listening and respecting her needs. This will go a long way toward her doing the same. Don't worry. This is temporary. Your time frame for getting to the potty will keep increasing. And very soon, your child will be able to hold her pee and poop until you can get to a regular toilet. Early in potty training, the pee-pee warning progression will cap off at around 5 to 10 seconds, meaning that at least for now, when your child signals he has to pee, you have 5 to 10 seconds to get them to the potty. I have found that they can wait a little longer if you at least respond. Say you're doing dishes in the kitchen and she's in the playroom. If she calls out that she needs to pee, you would say as you're running to her, I'm coming, please hold it. You will still need to keep an eye on your child at least for another month, although not with the intensity of the first day. Most likely, your child will signal with her pee-pee dance, but if not, you've gotten her pee pattern down and know to prompt her at certain times. Usually, a few weeks of commando and bringing along the potty is sufficient. After a month, you should be fine. Of course, gauge it for yourself. If you think you need it longer, go for it. Once again, think of how you can support your child in success. You want to line up everything in your and your child's favor. Blocks 4, 5, and 6 to infinity and beyond. By now, you should definitely be seeing quantifiable progress. It will continue to get easier and easier. Rather than keeping notes, for the love of God, please don't keep a P-log, strive for a rhythm. You want to be in harmony with your child, not hounding him all day long. The parents who do best tend to be very laid back and rely on their intuition. There's really no rule book here, just learning. You will keep building on success. I often refer to this as stacking successes. You want to pay close attention to your child's successes and not harp on the failures. If your child is making it to the potty more often than not, it's good. If she has five peas on the pot and two misses, that's good. Yes, it needs improvement, but it's good. It's human nature to pick out the bad. I used to own a children's clothing store. Almost all of my customers were awesome, but still, I would go home bitching about the one customer who blew my day. We all do this, but try to step out of it while potty training. Yes, we want to fix problems, but we don't want to come down on the child all the time. These may very well be the weirdest, hardest few days of your parenting career. It can be tedious, doing this dance of balancing vigilance with casualness. It will feel like it's taking a lot longer than it is. In the grand scheme, you're potty training in a short period of time. I cringe when I see people taking a year to potty train. They will encounter the same struggles you will, only theirs will be super prolonged. Should things seem like they're progressing, but at a slower rate than you anticipated, that's okay. 
continue at a slower rate. If there appears to be a major snafu and you're seeing no progress, check out specific solutions in Chapter 7, Block 1 Drama, and Chapter 8, Block 2 and 3 Dilemmas. Potty training isn't rocket science, but it isn't a single simple scenario either. Every child is different, and I think I've seen every possible situation. I will say that almost all problems can be solved by relieving any kind of pressure, whether it be pressure to maintain a social calendar, to prove yourself, to do this right, or to potty train in exactly three days or fewer. Most people don't have any trouble at all. Most likely, your child's signals will be pretty clear to both of you. You will probably feel a new bond with this big kid. You are going to be amazed at your kid's self-pride. You are going to be blown away by what she is capable of. Seriously, this is going to rock your world. One of the absolute coolest things I've found about potty training is it gives you a look into your child's psyche. You gain insight into your child's learning methods and curve, and that's wonderful. Not every kid learns the same way. Good teachers know this. When a student isn't learning, they find a back door to teaching, and they get creative. So many parents give potty training a whirl, a half-assed whirl usually, and are quick to throw a diaper back on because they aren't getting it. Man, there would be like three kids left in school if teachers threw in the towel when students didn't get it. When your child isn't learning something, you amp up the teaching, no? You don't ditch it. We have no way to know how your child will learn this until you jump in. It's important to remember that this is probably the first thing you are actively teaching and the first thing he is actively learning. That is to say, this is the first case in which you're teaching and he's learning something that must take place in a certain order and for which there really is only one right outcome. The more you can look at potty training as just something you are teaching your child, the better off you are going to be. Underpants, self-initiation, and night-nap dryness all sort of blend into the recipe at around three weeks after your start date. Use your parental intuition and judgment. I know you have it. Push the limits a little. Don't be fearful. Remember, above all, your vibe and energy are running the show. To recap, progressing through the blocks of learning is what's important. Don't track this by days. Make sure to meet the goals of each block before moving on. The transition points from pre-potty training to block one and from block one to block two are where most parents panic. It's okay. Move through those transitions. You are looking for progress, not perfection. You are looking for forward movement. If your child races to the potty but has an accident on the way, that's awesome. He was moving in the right direction. Evaluate success through the lens of a teacher who is looking for progress. And have wine handy or really good chocolate. Chapter 6, Nighttime Training Before we launch into nighttime training, let me state something very clearly. I have separated out nighttime from daytime because to potty train for both at once looks very overwhelming to most parents, particularly those who work full-time out of the home. But potty training for night and day at the same time is the most effective way to potty train. It will be more chaotic for a few days, but in the long run, you will have almost zero hassles down the road. When there is no backup, no other option, there are no power struggles. What's there to fight for? 
there's less confusion and less withholding of pee and poop. When you make using the potty the new way of doing things day and night, it becomes second nature much faster. It's totally up to you, and I won't judge either way, but I just have to throw it out there that tackling day and night at the same time is the better way to train. To do both at the same time, you would simply follow the daytime instructions as I described them in the previous chapter, adding in the nighttime instructions addressed here. Give this some serious thought before you make a decision one way or another. The biggest thing to remember about nighttime is that it's a long-ass time. That's the major difference between naps and night. Toddlers should be sleeping anywhere from 9 to 13 hours each night. That's a long time to go without peeing. Think about it. Most adults wake up to pee at least once a night, and we're skilled at using the potty. I've searched and searched for the magic nighttime trick. It doesn't exist. There's no way around it. To train for nighttime, you have to, one, carefully monitor fluid intake before bedtime, and or, two, wake your child to pee. Sorry. I wish there were a magic trick I could give you. I do, however, have some tips to make night training a lot easier on you. You will want to monitor fluids about two to three hours before bedtime, making sure there's minimal intake. This can be hard on your child if you do it suddenly. If your kid is used to lots of fluid before bed, I would start by scaling back gradually before you attempt your first diaperless night. Avoid sippy cups and bottles at night. Really, these shouldn't be used at bedtime now anyway. The sucking action leads kids to take in more than they would if they were using a cup. A great trick I've learned is to buy tiny cups, sake cups, mini teacups, or even shot glasses. This gives the illusion of a full glass, even though there's very little liquid in it. Also, kids love little things that are their size. I know quite a few moms who've developed a lovely nighttime tea ritual with their kids. Chamomile tea is widely accepted as promoting sleep and calm. Little cups also come in handy for the classic bedtime stall, I need a drink of water. If your kid pulls this, you can use a tiny cup to give him a drink without worrying he's taking in too much fluid. How do you plan for a reduction in fluids before bed? Think of the day in terms of two upside-down pyramids. One pyramid spans the time from waking to nap. The other spans the time from nap-waking to sleep. The width of the pyramid represents the amount of fluid your child should be drinking. Go heavy on fluids upon wakening, and then taper to almost nothing about an hour before nap and at least two hours before bedtime. If your child is used to having a big glass of something with dinner, this habit needs to change. Making the change can be tricky for a day or so, but your child will get used to it. You'll then need to withhold fluids from dinner on. Withholding fluids before sleep will naturally make your child thirstier in the morning, which works perfectly with the fluid pyramid. Most kids have drinking patterns that resemble right-side-up pyramids. The child is used to a decent-sized drink before bed. If your kid falls into this category, start the fluid tapering song and dance before you actually intend to begin night training. After all, you know toddlers and change. Not good. If you are still nursing intermittently throughout the night, night training could be a little trickier. Generally speaking, however, most kids at this age are nursing for comfort rather than volume, so they may not be taking in much fluid. Also, you could have your child pee before or after nursing. Pick whichever option best fits your child. Some kids like to pee before nursing, 
most prefer it afterward. Either is fine, but the trick is consistency. If you are co-sleeping, the good news is that night training is much easier. Your child has no travel time and usually gets restless right before needing to pee, which will help alert you to the situation. It's also a lot easier on you if all you need to do is roll over, as opposed to walking down the hall to your child's room. That said, though, if you haven't ever had the desire to co-sleep, I wouldn't recommend starting just to make night training easier. As for waking up your child to pee, I recommend starting with two wakings, so you can establish in your own mind when, during the night, your child does her peeing. Does she pee at 10 p.m. and 2 a.m.? At 12 a.m. and 4 a.m.? Some kids pee an hour after going down. Some kids pee once at 3 a.m. If you do two wakings for a week or so, I recommend 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. wakings at first, though you can adjust as needed, you should begin to develop a good idea of when your child is peeing. Unfortunately, unless you want to stay up all night, there's a bit of guesswork here, which is why if you find your child isn't peeing at 10 p.m. or 2 a.m., you may want to adjust the waking times. Even if your child's diapers have been dry upon waking in the morning lately, you might want to try at least one waking for a short time at the beginning of night training. The idea behind this is not just to catch the pee, but also to train your child's body to wake up if he needs to go. Unfortunately, the idea of waking to pee isn't something you can explain to the child in words. It has to be learned physically through waking. Sorry. Here's the easiest, least disruptive way to go about handling these wakings. Set your cell phone alarm so you don't have the blaring alarm clock going off in the middle of the night. Have the potty chair right next to the child's bed. It's best if she wears two-piece pajamas for the sake of simplicity, especially in the winter. Don't wake your child too soon after she's gone to sleep or too soon before you expect her to wake up for morning. This would result in her waking fully, which is something nobody wants. Unless your child wakes fully at the drop of a pin, I wouldn't worry about her waking for good if you rouse her to pee in the middle of the night. She's likely to stay at least partially asleep. The harder part is holding up her limp weight. Mostly asleep kids are kind of like wet spaghetti, heavy wet spaghetti. Get her to the potty and then you can just hold her up and whisper for her to pee. I've always found it helpful to make a shh noise similar to the sound of peeing, in the child's ear. Even half asleep, your child may indicate she doesn't have to pee. Just pull up her pajamas and put her back down. A really good trick is to use a big plastic party cup or any similarly sized reusable container. You can just stand your child up, this works for both girls and boys, and have her pee in it. Mostly asleep kids are easier to hold this way since they're taking some of their own weight and the whole thing goes quickly and smoothly. It seems obvious to me, but I'll say it anyway. You don't want to turn on bright lights and try to lug your child to the bathroom, hence the suggestion that you keep the potty near your child's bed. If you do, you'll have yourself a wide-awake toddler party at 2 a.m. Not desirable. Once you figure out approximately when your child is typically peeing at night, you can cut down to just one waking. I have found that it helps a lot to tell your child, right before he goes to sleep, to hold his pee until you come for him. It's his last conscious thought this way and works its way into his subconscious. You can then start scooching the time of the pee waking a little bit each night, till it's about two hours before his normal morning wake-up time. 
If he can make it to two hours before his normal wake-up, that's a good sign that he can hold it all night. Eventually, your child will either be able to hold it all night or will wake up to ask to pee. You'll know she's ready to go all night when she routinely says no or shakes her head during the wake-up pee. Even if it starts to look like she's able to hold it all night, continue to monitor fluids in the evening. If she shows the ability to wake up by herself to pee, you don't have to be so vigilant. Either scenario is equally acceptable. Nighttime potty training can take longer than daytime potty training, but won't necessarily. Each child is different, and each parent's level of commitment is different. Be gentle with yourself and realistic with your capabilities. As with day training, repetition and consistency are the most important factors. If you absolutely know you are unable to wake up to assist your child, then you may need to be an ultra-vigilant fluid monitor before bed. The reverse is also true. If you simply cannot monitor fluids before bed, commit to waking up. You do need to deal with night training at some point. Is night training necessary? Yes, or maybe no. How's that for a solid answer? Many, many children will start staying dry on their own as they get better and better at holding and consolidating during the day. A really good indicator that a child is ready for night training is when they start staying dry for their nap. However, this isn't true for every kid. So don't wait for that necessarily, but should your child start staying dry during naps, go for it. On that note, there is no such thing as just nap training. You can always try to go with a diaper for nap, but there is nothing we can do to assist the child, i.e. you can't wake a child mid-nap to help them empty their bladder. It's always best to ditch all diapers as soon as you are able. But night training can be wonky because there really is an issue of whether or not the child's bladder is able to hold and consolidate for such a long time. My bottom line is that night training can be on the back burner until around three to three and a half. If it hasn't naturally occurred by then, you must attend to it. The bladder is being developed at this age, and if it develops fully without the practice of holding and consolidating, those muscles will atrophy and you will struggle indefinitely with bedwetting. I can in no way know for certain what is true for every single child out there. I just can't. But I can see trends in the thousands of kids I have worked with. A very real and serious trend I see is that once a child is past the age of four, night training becomes near impossible. I regularly get clients, including pediatricians, with five, six, and seven-year-olds in nighttime diapers pull-ups, which are diapers. They think they don't have to attend to night training, and time just keeps marching on. And then the child's muscles are atrophied, and night training is incredibly hard. Now granted, there are some truly tough and rare cases, but the sheer volume of kids currently over four in night diapers is not right. It's not an issue of the kids not being able to do it, it's an issue of the wicking of disposables, the child not feeling the wetness, and the aggressive marketing on the part of the big diaper companies. So no, you don't have to dive into night training if you don't feel up to it yourself, or if your child has been struggling with sleep, or if you're struggling with sleep. But I can't say it enough. Do not go past three and a half without attending to it. Completely random side note to end this chapter. If you are over 32 weeks pregnant with another child, it's so totally cool to put off night training until the baby is around four to six weeks. You need to rest, 
save energy for labor and birth, and adjust to life with a newborn. You can attend to night training when you are waking for night feedings for the baby. There is no reason to stress yourself out with night training right now. Unless, of course, you want to. Then go for it, Mama. Nighttime accidents. Nighttime accidents are inevitable. Some nights your child might drink too much fluid, and others you might simply forget to wake or sleep through waking your child. As these accidents are inevitable, I found a pretty good way to deal with them. While your child is going through the transition from diapers to diaperless at night, keep an extra pair of pajamas and a thick fleece blanket near the bed. Should your child have an accident, change her pajamas and be sure to ask or sit her on the potty in case she has more pee. Often, she won't have emptied her bladder completely. Instead of changing sheets in the middle of the night, simply place the fleece blanket over the wet sheet. The fleece will keep the pee from soaking her dry pajamas. This may sound gross to some, but it sure beats having to change the sheets when you're both half awake. Of course, change the sheets in the morning. One more thing, nighttime accidents are all on you. The capability to hold the pee until morning or to be able to wake yourself up to pee develops over time, and if your child can't do it yet, she can't do it yet. You have to wake her to pee until her body is ready to consolidate and hold through the night. If your child is consistently, as in every night, having nighttime accidents, adjust something. You don't have to abandon night training. You may, however, need to change the times you wake him or monitor his fluids even more closely. Be creative and do what works for you and your family. If night training looks like a full-blown disaster after a week of attempts, I mean, you are barely sleeping and are still missing the peas, your child might be an extremely deep sleeper. Caveat. This is not common. If you suspect your child is a really deep sleeper, you might look into one of the few different alarm products on the market. These alarms wake your child just as she is beginning to pee. Personally, I have never used any of these, but I've heard excellent reports from the parents who have. Chapter 7. Block 1 Drama in this chapter, I will address the common problems in the first week of potty training. If you are having difficulties, listen to all the drama chapters. Problems can crop up at any point in potty training, not just during block one. Separating problems by block is just my attempt to keep an overwhelming amount of information semi-organized. Okay, so you are making your way through block one of potty training. I'm sure you are exhausted. It's very odd how exhausting watching your child is, huh? You are most likely listening to this chapter because you are unsure of how things are going. Or you know for a fact things are not going well. You may have a great feeling or you may be devastated or confused or unsure. Yes, you will run the gamut of emotions for the next week, I'm sure. Regardless of how you're feeling about potty training, do not let a successful or failed poop or pee in the potty determine your emotional state. In fact, it's a good idea never to let your toddler's behavior dictate your emotional state, though I know that's easier said than done. Remember, though, potty training progress is not a measurement of your parenting abilities, nor of how smart your child is. Having said that, let's go through and see where you're at and what, if anything, you need to do differently. Remember the timeline of potty training. Clueless, to I peed, to I'm peeing, to I have to go pee. We are looking for progress, not perfection. 
I'm going to refer alternately to blocks and days, because no matter how much I want you to avoid tracking progress by days, you are going to. There are really, honestly, truly no disasters in the first couple of days of potty training. There can't be. It's too new. You are changing a routine, a habit that has been in place for somewhere around two years. That's not going to happen in a day. No poop. The most common cause for a parental freakout is not getting a poop on the first day. You may have noticed that poop has its very own chapter. Yeah, it's that big a freaking deal. Do not worry if there's no poop on the first day. Your child was most likely a once, twice, or three times a day pooper when she was diapered. Almost every child I've ever worked with goes down to one poop a day during potty training. I think this consolidation of poops is natural. Most adults only poop once a day, if that. There's nothing to worry about from a medical standpoint if your kid has a day or two of no pooping. For many kids, that first day of potty training is very strange. All this focus on a previously unnoticed thing, and there is bound to be some performance anxiety. If there's no poop, don't sweat it. Carry on like normal. Be aware, though, that a poop is most certainly coming at some point. Go look over Chapter 10, Poop, and see if anything there pops out at you. But honestly, especially on the first day, this is normal. A crazy amount of pee. If your child seemed to spend the whole day peeing and not noticing, you most likely overdid the fluid consumption. Just go back to a normal amount of liquid. Remember, kids under 24 months in particular can't seem to handle excessive fluid intake. On the flip side, do make sure you're monitoring fluid intake to some degree. This doesn't mean you should restrict liquids. It just means keep an eye out for when and how much your child drinks relative to when and how much he pees so you can get a handle on his normal patterns. Hardly any pee at all. So, you gave your child five extra juice boxes, which would normally yield eight diaper changes. With the diapers off, however, your child has suddenly become a camel. If you only got a few peas on day one, it's okay. Some children can really hold it. You don't have to assume she is purposely withholding the pee, just that she can control her bladder. That's awesome. A child who can hold it is preferable to one who has to go every time there's even a small amount of pee in her bladder. Don't necessarily increase the fluid intake, but rather try to get a handle on her pee patterns. Start to get a feel for how long she can hold it after taking in fluid, so you can predict the most appropriate times to prompt. My best friend's husband pees once a day. I kid you not. Also, the dude has never had a urinary tract infection. Some people are just camels. However, beware the camel. Once the seal is broken, so to speak, many camels pee several times in a short period. Absolutely no awareness of having peed. Okay, you're chill with the notion of progress rather than perfection. You're relaxed that your kid isn't going to figure this all out in a day. You are not freaking out. But geez louise, this kid is showing no recognition that he just peed. WTH. This happens most often in children under 22 months. Regardless of your child's age, however, you'll want to make sure she truly is clueless rather than simply ignoring the pee. Clueless means clueless. How's that for a rock-solid definition? 
The child who pees and pretends it didn't happen is not clueless. See the difference? The truly clueless will pee while walking, slip on it, fall, and have no idea what the hell just happened. If by the end of day one, your child is still totally clueless, it's okay. All it means is that you are still in block one. If your child pees and pretends it doesn't happen, however, kid pees and pretends it doesn't happen. For this kid, remind him that pee goes in the potty. Frown or make an otherwise displeased facial expression and say, no pee on the floor, pee goes in the potty. Make those statements in that specific order, putting the desired result last. Kids tend to remember the last thing you said a little better. It just seems to stick. You don't want to be mean or reprimanding, but you do need to express that peeing on the floor is not good and peeing in the potty is good. As for handling the accident, don't panic. You want to have him help you clean up and sit on the potty to finish eliminating any pee he may have left. You can say something to the effect of, I know you are learning and your pee goes in the potty. Do not say, it's okay. I'll repeat this a lot. This phrase seemed to imply permission to pee on the floor to some kids. Even if what you really mean to express is, my head is not going to explode or anything. Essentially, acknowledge that he's still learning while consistently reinforcing the idea that pee goes in the potty. The two seconds you turned your back. You've hardly been breathing, watching like a hawk for her pee-pee dance, a sign, a twitch, a signal, nada. So you have to pee or get more coffee or beer, and the two freaking seconds your back is turned, she pees right there on the floor. Ah, how is that possible? Well, there's good news. This kid is well on her way to being potty trained. If she can hold it until the two seconds you turn your back, yep, that kid is almost done potty training. Think about it. Most likely, this is her way of asking for privacy. Remember, even though we don't think of it this way, a diaper conceals bodily functions, so it provides some privacy, right? Even though we see and clean up the messy diaper afterward, she still had privacy during the act of eliminating. Now her bum's in the breeze and there's no privacy. It's very cool to want privacy. It's the natural progression of potty training. So give her some. When you think it's about time for her to go, set her up on the potty and conveniently forget something in the other room. If she's using an insert on the big potty, it's the same deal, and you can close the bathroom door partially. Nine times out of ten, she'll pee the second you leave the room. This goes for poop, too. Also, whenever you have to pee during the beginning phases of potty training, bring your child with you. This is a great thing to do together. It normalizes and models the behavior. It's an all-around win. The kid who does absolutely no signaling whatsoever. Okay, again, you're watching like a hawk, and for the life of you, you cannot see any sort of signal. Now, I don't want to seem contrary, but every single child has a signal. I'm not saying you weren't watching for it. I know you were. It's just that for some kids, the signal is really subtle. A former client was convinced her daughter Jessie had no signal. On the second day of potty training, Jessie was still naked at this point, she finally saw it. Jessie crossed her big toe over the middle toe when she needed to pee. Weird, right? Subtle and small and not in the general potty area of the body. 
This is part of the reason I insist on at least one naked day. Every kid has some sort of pause or signal right before they pee. I'm not saying it's going to be big or obvious, but if you look closely, you'll see something. The pre-pee signal could be a pause in speech, a look he gets in his eye, a twitch in his jaw, or any number of other possibilities. If you really can't see it, try to look at your kid through squinty eyes, if that makes sense. You know those optical illusion posters where you have to find the fish in the psychedelic colors, and the only way to find the fish is to squint? Yeah, it's kind of like that. So many parents get focused on the genitals, makes sense since that's where the eagle is landing, or they have an expectation of what the signal is going to be. Let the preconceived notions go. Just watch with squinty eyes. And above all, keep your child's pee pattern in mind. If you know approximately when the pee should be coming, it makes it easier to watch for the signal. Sir dribbles a lot. This kid is a dripping faucet. I mostly see dribblers in boys, which kind of figures, yeah? They can dribble a lot throughout the day, or it might occur right before they have to pee. This is not terribly worrisome in the first few days. You have to remember that yesterday, when and how to pee wasn't on his radar. Today, he's getting used to a whole new ball game. We don't know for sure how your child peed when he was wearing a diaper. He might have let the pee out a little at a time until the diaper was full. For this kid, part of potty training is a natural consolidation of those little dribbly peas into one bigger one. It generally happens naturally as they get the hang of things. The kid will not sit long enough to pee. This is a very common complaint. Try doing something to engage her and keep her attention while she's on the potty. I offer suggestions like singing a song, counting to a particular number together, 50 is a good one, or reading some books. A great phrase to use is, I need to hear more pee. For some reason, this resonates with kids better than sit and finish your pee. I think it's because the kids are motivated to give you something other than the actual pee. They want to give you the sound of pee. What ever. Toddlers. But this particular issue is also one of the places where parenting philosophies can kind of muck things up. Your child is getting to an age of limit testing. You need to be firm and let your child know you mean business. For some parents, though, being firm feels sticky. Let me tell you that it's okay to be firm. You don't need to be mean to be firm. The less dancing around your child you do, the better. Sometimes, parents go so over the top trying to get the child to sit and pee that it turns into serious entertainment for the kid. You don't want to set up that habit. Also, if you're bending over backward to get the kid to pee, it starts to smell like fear. Kids can smell fear a mile away and it will either make them fearful or they will eat you for breakfast. So what can you do? Some mild form of distraction is fine. I would stay away from TV, though. Don't put the potty in front of a video or program and let your child just sit there. It may get them to sit, but it is way too passive. They are just getting the pee in the potty by chance because they happen to be sitting there. What they need to be learning is to act on the feeling of having to pee. On that note, Phone games, tablets, and other electronic devices as potty entertainment are okay for the first couple of days if you have to. I don't suggest them, but some parents specifically ask. Just don't make it a habit. 
As with TV, these devices make the peeing, pooping passive and can quickly lead to manipulation. The child demands a reward in order to pee or poop. My bottom line is that if your child can play a game on a mobile device, your child is more than capable of putting pee and poop in the potty. Remember, the idea is to normalize the use of the potty, not to make it into a big game or special thing. The calm jar. This is a distraction that works well for a few different situations. Make a calm jar out of a mason jar or a clear plastic water bottle. Fill it with water, medium-sized glitter, and some oil or glycerin. The result is a sort of snow globe. Many parents use the calm jar in lieu of a timeout. The child can shake it and watch the glitter settle, which is calming and relaxing and takes a minute. I've found the calm jar to be excellent for kids who want to pop right up off the potty because it helps keep their interest, which keeps them seated. It's also great for the kid who's having trouble releasing pee or poop. This is the kid who sits on the potty but can't seem to let the pee go. Then she pops up and pees on the floor. This kid is not screwing with you, even though it looks like it. She just needs to sit longer and allow for the release. The calm jar will help her relax and let the pee start flowing. Fear of the potty. You've been casual and relaxed. You know you are not putting any pressure on your child. Still, your kid seems afraid of the potty. First of all, do not invalidate her feelings. Just like fear of the dark, the monster under the bed, or the vacuum, this is a real fear, however illogical it might be. We don't want to feed into it, but we don't want to invalidate it. Never ask your child if she is afraid of the potty. You will get a yes, and there's nowhere to go from there. Instead, tell her something along the lines of, Honey, I know this can feel weird. I know it's brand new. Look at the potty. See? It's just plastic. Let her practice pouring some water into it and dumping it into the big toilet. Practice with some toys or dolls, having her help them use the potty. I've even had mom sit right on the darn thing and pee to show it's not gonna bite. Very bendy moms, I should add. You can even have her sit on it, when she doesn't need to go pee, for practice. Again, don't feed into the fear, but do acknowledge it. Acknowledgement goes a long way with kids. This is one of those times to use an and sentence construct. Yes, I know it feels strange, and that's where your pee goes. Yes and yes. Also, check out my musings on this subject in Chapter 10, Poop. There are many things that contribute to potty fear. You have to work through this fear, and it may take a fair amount of creativity. Just as fearing a monster under the bed doesn't mean you don't go to bed, fear of the potty doesn't mean you put a diaper back on. Also, try to pin down the fear. Is she afraid of the potty itself or the sensation of pooping? It helps to know what's worrying her so you can deal with it more specifically. Also, you'll want to identify whether you're looking at a case of true fear or just a little bit of resistance. The child with a true deep fear of the potty is rare and should be distinguished from a child who is showing resistance. In the case of a child with a true fear, the potty might as well be filled with boiling molten lava. She wants no part of it. The truly afraid child is the one who right from the get-go shrieked and hollered and had to be dragged to the potty. Note that a true fear shows up right from the start of potty training. 
A child who starts resisting after using the potty a couple of times isn't truly afraid. Many children show resistance to the potty. Fear is something different. You will recognize it if you see it, but you're not likely to. In all my years of all the kids I've worked with, only 11 have fallen into this category. I hesitate even to mention it because I don't want everyone saying, this is my kid. I'll talk more about the truly fearful child in Chapter 17, Special Circumstances. So, are you sensing a theme here? In case you're too exhausted to put it together, I'll spell it out. Nothing is wrong the first day of potty training. Yesterday, your kid could pee and poop whenever, wherever the urge struck. Now you aren't letting him out of your sight, and he is expected to up and make this huge change. Just remember that. Also, never underestimate the power of sleep. Much will be accomplished in his sleep tonight. Information gets sorted out in the brain, and you can begin fresh in the morning. If you feel that block one went pretty well, that there was some forward movement and some clicking, rock on. That's awesome. Move on to block two, pants, commando, and small outings. If you are feeling less than stellar or simply a little unsure, it's okay to bounce a little from block one to block two. I recommend having your child go half-naked and half-clothed. I call it handing your child success. Often, parents are just not really sure where their kid is at with regard to taking everything in during the early phases of potty training. If you fall into this category, it's okay to do more naked time. To make progress, though, we need to start stacking up successes. This will build your child's pride and confidence. Learning to use the potty is a lot like learning to read. You can't just learn a letter and move on. You have to study the letter, hear it again and again, and write it in lower and upper case many, many times. I have a small rainforest and worksheets that prove this. To create progress in potty training, you have to nudge the child forward with the expectation that they can rise to the challenge, but you also have to know they've gotten the last step. It's a balancing act, to be sure. One way to hand your child success in block two is to start with your child naked at least from the waist down, and make sure you get a good pee in the potty. Then throw on some clothes for a very small outing. Bracket the day's activities around peas, trying to ensure that you're home and your child has a naked bum for the times when he needs to go. Between peas, do small errands or activities outside. Many parents feel like this is cheating, but it's not. Or it is, and I don't care. The most valuable outcome here is that your child will feel pride and accomplishment. These will provide the ongoing motivation. Between block one and block two, parents often try to rush things a bit. Get pants on the kid. Get out of the house. Get the kid fully potty trained. Part of the reason for clearing your social calendar is to be able to have a, uh, whatever attitude about the whole thing. If you rush things, you'll be kicking out those blocks of success. They are vital. Without them, your tower is going to be very unstable if it stands at all. Take your time and set your child up to succeed. Another thing, be sure you are taking care of yourself. Yes, this can be tiring. Yes, have some wine. But do not stay up late or eat a ton of junk. We need you sane and rested so you can be the most effective teacher possible. Yeah?
This is the end of the CD. The audiobook continues on the next CD.